Heavenly Father, we are a grateful people to be assembled here in this place. This is the tabernacle. This is your tabernacle, and you have come to dwell with us and in us. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks words of truth to each of us. And I pray, God, that as Matt speaks, Lord, that uh, you will bless us. You will speak truth into each one of us. You will hit the heart of each person here, and you will move us from where we are to where you want us to be. God, thank you for sending us your servant. He may say, say things that comfort us. He may say things that challenge us. But he's your man, God, and he's your man for this hour. And we trust that whatever he shares with us is exactly what each of us needs. So open our hearts and our minds to, um, to your word and your work in, in the midst of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you welcome Matt, please? Amen. Thank you. Well, you know, he said the job of the preacher, um, something about comforting and challenging. The way that I've always put it is the job of the preacher is to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so that's what I'm aiming at. And the other thing is they say, preach what you need to hear, because if you need to hear it, then chances are someone else needs to hear it as well. And it is so good to be here. I wish we could be here all week, but I was so honored that Kevin said, why don't you come up for Saturday night, which I had ever yet to make, because normally I would preach on Sunday and then zip up here and get started with music and all of that. But what an incredible honor it is to be here. And I always wanted to say, what time is it? Yeah. Did you know that in the 66 ancient documents that we call the Bible, the tabernacle was a mobile tent? It was not in one place. And not that I'm saying this shouldn't be the tabernacle because it was a meeting place with God. But it was in throughout scriptures, the 66 ancient documents that were written over the course of about 1,600 years uh, recorded in what compiled in what we call the Bible. Um, the tabernacle was a mobile tent. And I don't know if as you go through, I've been catching up with people. How was your year? How was your year? In a way, the tabernacle went and dispersed all over the state of Michigan and beyond the state of Michigan as you and I became tabernacles, mobile tents of the meeting place with God. Now, one of the things Kevin said was, Share with us about Felix, because as you, some of you who were here last year know, uh, just a couple days before we came here for family camp, we got the blessing of Felix. This is a picture of Felix, for those of you that were new. He's from Guatemala. Now you're like, oh, he's from Guatemala and from uh, the area, the region of Hui Hui Tenango. And he arrived through a program called Healing the Children. And he's the eighth kid that we've had from uh, these third world countries for kids who need severe surgeries. And uh, uh, Felix came to us at one and a half years old. And they said he'll be with us for two to three months. He was with us for six months. And he was just, he captured everybody's hearts. And it started right here at Bayshore Camp. And we... Um, we weren't so sure about this giant lump on his face. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's, um, and we asked our friend who was working with the youth group. He's one of the top plastic surgeons at Mott Children's. And we're like, but does it hurt him? Is he in pain? Because he was crying all the time the first few days. And our friend Steve, the plastic surgeon, went, Pow! and he said, nope, it doesn't hurt him. 
So that's how we knew it didn't hurt him. It actually is filled with non-functioning brain matter and brain fluid is what it is, or what it was, praise God. And it blocked, basically completely blocked his left eye, um, and it pushed his nose over, and it made it really hard if you were feeding him from his left side because you couldn't see his mouth because of the giant lump on his face. Here's another picture of him. This is with Aaron. It just shows you how much it protrudes. It was there when he was born, and uh, luckily his mom heard something about cranial facial something on the radio in her one one room, um, they were in, they're in severe poverty uh, in Guatemala, but they had a radio. And, and so there he is with Aaron, who is the choir director. And uh, he ended up loving it. Bayshore, he tasted his first really American food of many kinds. He also went swimming for the first time, and he was so loved on and prayed over. Here's another picture of him with Levi, I think. Yeah. And uh, just to give you, that's on the sidewalk right out here. But uh, Felix was just incredible. And in uh, September 1st, after family camp last year, he went in for surgery at Mott Children's Hospital. And they do these surgeries um, pro bono and to give the residents experience. And so this is, um, I think, the next thing, maybe one more photo. Can you... Can you play that one more time, Austin? I don't know how you do that. Go back and forth. Anna. Oh, no. Anna. Oh, no. Anna. That's after his second surgery. He was in ICU basically for a month. He came home for three days, and he was not quite right. They had to take his skull off to do the surgery because there was a hole behind his nasal cavity that just never filled because his mom was lacking folic acid when he was born, which is what you get from green leafy vegetables, right? And so they did the surgery the first time, and they, they brought him home, and my wife, Lee, just knew something wasn't quite right, and he was not quite right. He was not like that at all. And finally, and, and we weren't sure exactly what to do, finally he spiked a fever, and Lee said, that's it, I'm taking him back in. And they had to redo the entire surgery. So it was pretty severe. And this is after his second surgery. And he was in ICU for a month. And I praise God for Dexter United Methodist Church, for my wife, Lee, who was with him most every night. I was on relief duty for the most part. But she was the one that really saw him through and advocated. And the people at Mott Children's Hospital were amazing. So you can see his uncovered eye, which was as big as his other eye, if you remember him from last year. Here's another picture of him. This is him at um, the Wings Pumpkin Farm, and you can see that line across his head. That's where they opened his skull, and they made it zigzag so his hair wouldn't have some funky, like, part like some of ours does. <laughs> and, and he loved the pumpkins, and we were trying to talk Spanish with him the whole time, but we weren't quite sure what was happening because he didn't respond to words like zapatos, not that he came with shoes when he came from Guatemala. But, um, or pelota, you know, let's play with the pelota, or el perro, because we have a little white dog that he kept kicking the whole time. He was with us, because that's how they treat dogs in Central America, we've come to find out. But, <laughs> and then Casey, who weighs all of seven pounds, would growl at him, and, and Felix would put the little chewy toy in his mouth on one end, and Casey would grab it on the other, because they were about the same height. And then they'd have this tug of war, and Felix was the only per human on the planet that Casey could could win over in a tug-of-war match. But um, 
the next picture, I think, is Felix getting glasses. He got glasses because his uncovered eye, the one on, on the right, his left eye, our right, um, needed severe correction. So he had these glasses that strapped on and they were made out of plastic, and he didn't mind wearing them. But he wore them like this all the time because guess how my wife wears her reading glasses? <laughs> She's doing it right now. Yeah, so Felix sometimes would just take his and go, <clears throat> yeah. So that's how he wore it. But most of the time he would wear his glasses because it helped so much he didn't mind wearing them. Now, this next picture, I think, is of Halloween. Lee had a good idea. That's in our hosta garden at the Parsonage in Dexter. That's his winter coat. That's my belt. That's just cotton and his hat that he wore. Here's a picture of him, in case you couldn't tell what we were going for. Is that or is that not the best Halloween costume you've ever seen? As Felix the Garden Gnome. And it was so cool because like our across the street neighbors invited us over with all the kind of like 30-somethings, you know, to have pizza before going trick-or-treating. And, and it was really fun. So, uh, and we went to about eight or ten houses and the neighbors, some of the neighbors who we didn't even know somehow knew who Felix was because he loved to go on walks. Anyway, the next picture is, I think, coming up to Thanksgiving, and this might be a video. <laughs> In the tub. <laughs> what does the, tur what's the turkey say? <laughs> Here was the cool thing, <laughs> well, it wasn't really cool, you know, we, we assumed that Felix um, would be speaking Spanish. He's from Guatemala. And about three months, this is how careful we are at healing the children. About two and a half months after his whole surgery and everything, I come home from work one day, and Lee says, honey, guess what? And I say, what? And she said, I read Felix's papers. They don't speak Spanish. <laughs> we had all these baby books in Spanish. I was using all my best toddler Spanish with him. And they speak a form, a dialect of Mayan called Quan Jobao. So I'm like, I'm going to learn some Quan Jobao. And so the, it's not on Google Translate. So I go into this website. I'm like, okay, there's a picture of a dog. We have a dog. We'll practice dog. Well, here's how Quan Jobao spells dog. T apostrophe X I apostrophe. Like, what do you do with that? I said, okay, we'll, we'll send him home trilingual. English, Spanish, and whatever he remembers. Quan Jobo. So I said, forget that. Here's another picture of him, I think, at Thanksgiving with some of our kids, three out of our four kids, and my uh, daughter-in-law um, up north celebrating Thanksgiving with his Michigan sweatshirt on and his glasses on. And then here's another picture of him. His thing was he loved that um, Santa hat. And he would wear it. Remember how cold it was in December and January, sub-zero. He just wanted to go outside and run and s go on the sidewalks, even like late at night. So I'd be out there walking him, and I think, I'm sure anybody that drove by said, what kind of abusive dad is that with this little guy out there? Because, you know, he's this tall, and he walked like a little old man. I think there's another picture. Yeah. He loves Santa hats, so we sent him home with a Santa hat. 
and um, then the good news is um, he went home mid-January to be with his mom again, and now I have about six um, Facebook friends who, who friended me who are part of the social services agency of Hui Hui Tenango, and we exchange uh, in Spanish back and forth, and just last month, one of the women there uh, sent this picture. Doesn't he look good? That's the red hat, one of the hats we sent down with him. And I posted that on Facebook, and I said, hopefully we can keep him in glasses. And I just wrote this in English. And the cool thing was, is the, one of the women saw it and translated it and said, oh, is he supposed to wear his glasses all the time? And I was able to say yes. So he, we cannot thank you enough for your prayers, um, for laying hands on him, um, because it was touch and go last September. But uh, we praise God for the love that you guys gave us. I was trying to figure out what to say as I, um, as I was here just for this night, thinking about you guys entering into the week. And I thought, what is a tool that I could put in your hands as you approach this week? And so what I want to do to introduce the topic tonight is for you to turn to your neighbor and share what is your favorite tool. Ready? You have about 30 seconds. Share with one or two people around you. Okay, if you're still talking, take them to ice cream. Barbie, what is your favorite tool? Just no. What's your favorite tool? Oh, my, my, no, needle. needle and thread. Meat grinder. I love it. Favorite tool? Shout them out. A knife. A multi-tool. Wheat cloth, the Bible, oh, good. How about a couple of people back here? What's your favorite tool? A saw, a pencil, that's a smart tool. Favorite tool? Crochet needles. We've got a lot of crafty people here. Do you have a favorite? A screwdriver. Measuring tape. How about over here? Cre adjustable crescent wrench. Sewing machine, remote control, <laughs> a very important tool. Hey, Carol, what's your favorite tool? I said it's password. Oh, good. I thought it was so you could spank the kids. No, it's okay. Yes, yeah, so you can lick out the bowl. Favorite tool? Hammer, duct tape, manly tools. Paintbrush. Hammers. Dulcimer hammers. Favorite tool? Cordless drill. Compact drill. We're, we're, uh, our man card is going up. Anybody say a chainsaw? All right. That's good. Favorite tool over here? What you got? Measuring tape. Hammer? Hammer. If I had a hammer. Favorite tool? Fabric, scissors, your brain. What's that? Rotary cutter. Man, don't mess with this crowd. Favorite tool, Louie? Chainsaw. Chainsaw. Love it. 
One time I asked this question, and Jeanette Turner, who's, who's 96 years old, said her wallet. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about maybe a tool that we haven't thought about, because we've got to be clear. We've got to be clear and remind one another throughout the week what we are about. Something that people could get because they could see it. And so what I wanted to talk about that may or may not have been one of Jesus' favorite tools is a towel. And here's why. If you brought your Bibles with you, we'll be looking at John chapter 13. Starting in verse 1. Now, this is the disciples. You know how we kind of think everything goes in sequence when you see a book like a Bible. There are hundreds of years sometimes between one book and the very next book. So within the Bible, they, in John 13, they're remembering something that, that first began like over a thousand years earlier. And it says this. John writes this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them he loved them to the last. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal... He took off his outer clothing, which I'm not going to do, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, this is crazy. This is Jesus' very last night on earth. And with a very limited amount of time, and so much that he still had to tell his disciples. Jesus chooses to not say a word. But instead, to become a sermon. A sermon of foot washing. Why? With everything coming up, with everything that was going to smack them in the face and rip his followers apart, Jesus decides to become a sermon. Why did he do that? We already read it, and I don't know if you caught it. Why the motivation for Jesus to serve? Look back again at John 13 in verse 1. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he now showed them, he loved them to the last. Our Lord washed the feet of his disciples to show that to the last moment, he was full of the deepest and truest love for them, and he was willing to perform the worst, most meaningful action for their good. He stooped to wipe their feet all the way down. I believe this one condescending act, this one condescending act is Jesus' pledge to all who follow him through all time. 
and that means us even this evening. Jesus loved those disciples even before the earth was formed. He still continues to love them, and Jesus always will love them when these heavens and earth shall have passed away. Amen? As a sign of this everlasting covenant love of God, God has left on record this towel, this washing of his disciples' feet. It's here, not because Jesus did this thing just once, but because it was the type of thing that Jesus did over and over and over again. Serving at this low level was just in his wheelhouse. It's just what he was always doing for them in one form or another. This foot washing wasn't some ceremonial thing or something where you put your shoe up and people, you know, acknowledge it or try to make some symbolic thing like we do in our churches today. No, Jesus did this because that's just what you did. It was a first century sign of honoring your guests. Think about the stinky feet of everybody walking around in sandals in the dirt. The whole of the message is Jesus was always doing this for his disciples anyways. The whole of the message is this. We were separated from God, and God came eye to eye with humanity, with people, with you. Even more so, with a towel in his hand, Jesus came even lower than eye to eye. Rather, eye to feet. I to dirt, I to sin. That's how much he loves us to the end, to the last. You know, one thing I learned early in ministry is this. When you are with someone, do whatever it takes to get on eye level with them. It makes all the difference. If it's somebody that can't stand up easily, then go like this. I got accused in my old church because when I would hug the old ladies, especially Irene Nordyke, she was like this tall. She could have been Felix's grandma. And, and I would hu- the way I have to get down to hug somebody in the right way, and everyone would be like, your fanny sticks out so far when you hug me. That's what it takes. It's one tiny gesture of what God has done for every person of every size on this planet. When we first started at Dexter, um, Dawn Northrup, who happens to now be one of my wife's best friends, and their families and our families are um, best friends, they ha- she was so mad about the other pastor leaving, she said, I'm not going to that sermon. I'll work the nursery. And so she did, but you know, they have the obligatory meet the new pastor receiving line kind of thing, and they were some of the last people there. And Dawn has a, had a son named Colin who in third grade, um, he was born with severe cerebral palsy and was in a wheelchair. And all I did was go like this so I could talk to Colin eye to eye, and all of a sudden, it, 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 I didn't know I was doing it, but I had made this huge impact on Dawn who was already mad at me because the other guy left, and it changed everything. When you can get eye to eye with someone, and if you're ever leading a Bible study, get everybody on the same eye level, whether it's seated, sitting on the floor, or however it is, it will make all the difference. Because this one tiny gesture is what God has done for every person of every size on the planet. But seriously, a towel? 
This wasn't some ceremonial act, some ceremonial foot-washing churchy thing. It was done all the time in first century Palestine by the lowest, most unfortunate servant available for a household. And Jesus was constantly moving into that position himself. Wherever you're coming from, you just need to know, Jesus does this sort of thing. And he does this sort of thing for you. It's weird. But the reason it's weird is because we're the ones who have some kind of warped view of what great power looks like. But Jesus does this to show that his love for you will outlast all the strain that you could ever put on that love. Think about it. He knew and he was going through the three greatest trials of his life. And what does Jesus do? He goes for the towel. The first trial was Jesus was about to go away from his friends. The people that he had spent so much time with. Here's Jesus knowing that he needs to leave them behind as he faces his death. And he's showing them in this act he didn't forget them and move on like some of us would do. He did the opposite. He poured out grace and he made them see that he would still remember them. And the simple towel is so in the face of the lies that we have to combat that God has somehow forgotten us in the midst of whatever we have going on. God has not forgotten you. Jesus is about to leave them via this cruel trial and this, this completely horrific crucifixion, Roman torture instrument. <laughs> Those disciples should have been comforting and serving him. But instead, he forgot the pain, he forgot the grief, he forgot the oncoming death to spend all his time and strength on their comfort and on their formation as his followers. John simply puts it this way, he still loved his own. I don't know what you've been going through, but I know this, when you think about trials, either you're heading into one you're in the middle of one, or you're just coming out of one. That's how we live, isn't it? So Jesus' first trial is he knew he was going to be going away from his friends and leaving them. Think of the incredible trust. And <laughs> if I were him, I'd have been like, oh my gosh, what was plan B? But he's like, no. And he embraces them to the end. The second trial, think about this. Jesus basically knew that one of them had already betrayed him and the rest would run away and desert him. And yet, knowing what they were, Jesus, our Lord, took a towel and washed their feet. Washed Judas' feet. Think of that. This act was gentle and sincere, done in love to Judas even given the circumstances. You know, it shows me that his love will bear anything that we give him. Bad behavior, zero loyalty, selfishness, low commitment, even a thousand terrible failures and doubts, let alone all the sin. What does John say? Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. All this with a towel. You know how quickly we are today to dump people. 
to regret, to refuse to serve someone else for their faults rather than see them like Jesus did. We can't do this in our own strength. I was thinking about everything that goes on at Bayshore, and I thought, there is no way a group of people can do that in their own strength. We are so into our circumstances, even sometimes more than God's love. You know, the third trial was probably this. Jesus, faced with this way to love his disciples, was not disgusted to do a slave's work. Paul writes the Christ followers in Philippi and puts it this way. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. With all things in his hand. This was Jesus who was there at creation, the one whose hands carved out our great lakes, the ones whose hands cast the stars into being. With all things in his hand, Jesus still took a towel in his and wiped the disciples' feet. You know, some of you are in a serving season of your life right now. And you feel invisible. Whether it's a loved one, a parent, uh, your children, whatever age, you are just in that serving season of your life right now and you feel invisible. And I think that, that um, I just want you to know that God is a seeing God, and God sees you. And he sees you, and he knows, because he's been there, and he loves you. You know, if there's something in your life, and in the midst of that kind of a season, and you're praying for it, and God's not doing it, don't just give up, or don't just give in. There's a reason God's not doing it. And remember this. You've already survived 100% of your worst days. Let me say that again. Whatever you're facing, remember this. You've already survived 100% of your worst days. Trust in God. Have the attitude, Paul says, that was in Christ Jesus. Do you know attitudes are contagious? Church, how's our attitude? Here's how I know attitudes are contagious. Several years ago, there was a 50-some-year-old woman on the train from Detroit to Chicago, and around Kalamazoo, the train broke down outside of Kalamazoo, and the conductor came on, and said it was going to be a three-hour delay, and then there would be buses here to take people into Chicago. And it got really ugly in the passenger car. But this woman in her mid-50s, who was there knitting by herself on her way to see her husband, who was over in Chicago, started singing, I've been working on the railroad. All the live long day. And it transformed that car because people started joining in. 
and pretty soon the entire attitude shifted. And the reason I know that story is because that 55-year-old woman was my mom. Attitudes are contagious. Will yours be one with a towel in hand? You know, if we've already survived 100% of our worst days and we can trust in God and we can see that God loves us to the end, you put it that way, and the great words of Romans chapter 8, verse 38, make me convinced too. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither power neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus our Lord. May that be who we are. All this big talk coming from a towel. But you know, this tool of Jesus shows us still today he loves us. And he loves us through to the end and another thing it shows us is that Jesus cares for the little things in our lives, even minor stuff, with a deeply personal interest. Jesus washed their feet, tender and close and personal. You know, I could see him in this moment of this betrayal and the crowds deserting him and everything going on. I could see him easing their tired hearts or their fuzzy brains but that he should wash their rotten, stinking, hangnailed feet is unbelievable. You know, if it had been me, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have said, okay, guys, now let's do an exercise in serving. You guys are going to wash each other's feet. Go. But no, he did it himself. He did it himself because you know what? When you experience that kind of Christ-like love, it's hard not to become yourself a stooping, bending over, dirty Christ follower who shows up to serve, towel in hand. And you know, when you're that kind of a Christ follower, it's hard because a lot of people can't see you. A lot of people don't know you're there. That's right where Jesus was. One more thought about this. There's a purity in washing. There's a purity in the washing. Jesus told Peter in that moment, look in your Bibles, 13 verse 8. He's saying to Peter, his main guy, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. If Jesus does not wash you and make you holy, you are not his. Which will it be? Which will you love? You know, here's something that struck me about that. Why does sin make me feel eventually, well, dirty? Sick even. You know, about three weeks ago, I went to the grocery store at 11 p.m. because we needed some milk. And I picked up some deodorant, and I picked up a bag of double stuff, Oreos. Now, however many you eat, it doesn't really matter because there's less total Oreos. 
And I'm sure the bag is smaller, but that night, and I was at the grocery store at 11, that night before I went to bed, I ate a whole sleeve. But they were double stuffed, so it's like, what, half as many Oreos, right? <laughs> and I only ate them like two at a time. I was, I was in the living room, and every, like, about every five minutes, I'd walk into the kitchen and take two, and walk back, sit on the couch, and indulge. And then I, <laughs> I thought I was done each time, right? That's how sin works, isn't it? And so then I'd find my way back, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I just ate the whole sleeve. And so then what do I do? I put, you know, it's kind of got a sticky lid top on it, you know, and I put it on the top shelf so nobody can see. Not Graham, not Joy, not Lesty, the girl from Honduras that was with us for the last two months, not my wife. Only I know they're there, right? And you know what? The next morning I woke up feeling really cruddy. And isn't that like sin? Like I need to cover it up or hide it or deny it. It's so good in the moment, but you're left the next morning feeling like garbage and dirty. And Jesus comes along with this towel and he says, let's be washed clean from this, from all of it. Maybe even the dirt that we feel in our lives from our sin is a gift of God because that sense of filth eventually leaves us open to the towel. Have you cried out yet? Have you cried out lately from your sin or from your shame, from the touch of Jesus, even to the cruddiest, lowest, most hidden parts of your life, the washing clean? You know, I love how easily Jesus does it and how readily he gives it. He grabs a towel, he gets the water, he proceeds to wash their feet. He didn't come asking, and neither do we, but now we see the best thing that I could do is resort to Jesus all the way to the end. And here's the thing now. We're called to carry a towel. This week, every time you grab your towel, will you think the reason Jesus did this is because he loved his own who were still in the world to the end. We're called to carry a towel. Why? Because there will always be a need for this service in the church. The servant then was Jesus in the flesh. The servant today is you as a bearer of Christ and me. We're privileged to live now as the hands and the heart and the feet and the stooping back of Jesus' body on earth today. Do you know what that means? It means that you can never, never expect to join a church where there will be nothing for you to do. Let me say that again. <laughs> there will never, never, you can never, never expect to join a church where there will be nothing for you to do. Jesus himself said it in John 13. Look in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What I say here tonight in the tabernacle doesn't make a bit of difference, but only what you do in response to God's words speaking to you through mine. You know, tonight, some of you just need to accept the towel that someone else is bringing you. 
Foot washing is embarrassing. Have enough grace to receive it, too. For others of you, you found that it's easier to stoop to the poor, but harder to yield and stoop to your peers and to your neighbors. Yet the fact is, someone near you needs to hear you, to hear and to see you. At that near final moment in his life, Jesus grabbed a towel and made it look easy. <laughs> the question that I was asking myself as I was diving into this was this. Why, are, why am I so busy that I can't find a way to help? Why are you so busy that you can't find a way to help around here? Or to reach out to someone near you? Or to stop and get eye to eye with someone even in your own home? By his towel, God is telling me, quit holding back. You're living some kind of a lie that says the best thing of the world is to be served. Isn't that what everybody's aiming for? The more people I have serving me, ah, I've arrived, we say. But that's a lie. When Jesus says, grab a towel, and start serving, because I love you all the way through. We could solve so many problems and so many challenges around here if all of us threw in the towel, literally, right where we are, serving in Christ's name. Jesus messed with us in this. The one who served with his very lifeblood and the towel talked backwards. It's more blessed to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. You know, when you boil it down, Jesus said, we would be known by our love. And in John 15, 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for their friends. We're known by our love. The greatest expression of love is when we lay down our lives. Until you're called to lay down your life, it's a call to carry a towel and to stoop real low. We're going to pray. I invite you, if you, wherever you need to pray, if you need to pray right where you are, if you need to pray standing, if you need to pray at the kneelers, you are welcome to. As you think about Jesus showing us he loved us to the end in the face of all the trials he was going through. I'm going to invite uh, Didi up. And as they're coming, I'm going to open us in time of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here again this year, for all the people that you've called to help, for everyone who's pouring out, who's stooping real low, whether it's with the little ones, whether it's with the older folks, whether it's in the kitchen or in the grounds or in the programming. Lord, it's so easy to overlook the people who are down on their knees serving. 
And God, we're reminded tonight as we begin this week that you have called us into a posture where we might just be able to hear you better because we're down low. And so, Lord, as we sing in response to this message, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Some of us need to allow ourselves to be served, to receive the towel. Others of us need to stop where we are because we say we're too busy somehow. Some of us, Lord, need to be cleansed once more. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you did, even on the night of your betrayal, to pour your love out for us. And I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would pour your love on us once more, all the way to the end. We pray in Jesus' name.